Welcome to the podcast of Rainbow Family Christian Center with Pastors Horace and Patricia Drumming. We would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray that you are impacted, inspired, and encouraged by the Word of God. Let's check out today's message. Hallelujah. Glory to our King. What a great God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. What an awesome God we serve. Come on, give him a clap offering. Give him a clap offering for all that he has done. And when we think about the goodness of the Lord, I don't know about you, but I can't help but to praise him and to honor him because he's worthy. God is worthy. And I love when that particular lead singer was simply saying, you know, sometimes you don't have to have a dance party. You don't even have to have the music playing. When you start to focusing on who Jesus is in your life. And if you don't know him like that, you need to get to know him like that. Where when you think about his goodness, you just begin to wave your hands. You just begin to praise his name. And see, sometimes, folks, you don't even know what to pray. And sometimes we don't even know what to say. But if you say that name, the Bible says that that name Every knee will begin to bow. Every tongue will begin to confess. Every demon, every devil, every discouragement that ever comes at your life will have to flee at the name of Jesus. Every name is subject to the name of Jesus. Somebody shout it, Jesus. Hallelujah. Why don't you go ahead and be seated and greet your neighbor on your way down. Amen. Those of you at home, thank you for being here with us this morning, and we want to continue to bless God, and we don't want to um, be remiss of the fact that this is a Memorial Day. Memorial Day doesn't mean hot dogs to me. It doesn't mean hamburgers. It doesn't mean a trip to the beach. It doesn't mean uh, the beginning of a summer vacation or recreation. Memorial Day, I'm a veteran. i been over 20 years in the military, and uh, my wife served as well, and uh, we realized that some gave some, but some gave it all. There are multitudes of cemeteries, and I'm reminded of a pastor, Pastor Jeff Wright used to say when we would go through Arlington, he said, if we will plant the seed of God's word in people, we won't have to plant so many bodies in the ground. Do you know that God really doesn't want us to study war? The scripture tells us that he wants us to what? Turn our weapons into plowshares and to study war no more. But war is a reminder that this is why you pray. This is why you get to know Jesus Christ because uh, it, it is the plan of the devil to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It is nothing wrong with having a defense. God certainly helped raise up armies among his people to defend themselves, but at the same time, God wanted us to be at peace even with our enemies. And so this morning is a time where multitudes will go to the walls and the various monuments in each state and in, in this capital of Washington, D.C., and, uh, and, and they will look. And I've watched people I go to the wall and trace the names of people that they were on the battlefields with. I've seen young, young, where they were young children and their fathers died or mothers died in this war. And this is their place of connectivity. 
I've met several people. One of the things about the Vietnam Wall is that you look at a name while you're looking at yourself in that wall. Because you know that a part of you is there. A part of you re is represented there, I should say. Because the Bible tells me if one knew the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be where present with the Lord. But it is a right thing to do. Even the Bible tells us that we should remember. Even the Bible tells us that we should reflect and look back. How many of you know that freedom doesn't come for free? Every place there is freedom, there was a price that was paid. Every person enjoying freedom today, somebody paid a tremendous cost for that freedom. Our freedom, even in Christ Jesus, didn't he pay a cost? Didn't it cost something? He was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. He bled. He died. He suffered so that you and I could have life, and he said, have it what? More abundantly. Those who fought in battles in the human level, they fought there so that, I don't know about you, aside from 9-11, I had never seen that type of carnage on this terra firma. And that's because a lot of people went to war. Some came home, but some didn't. If you have a family member who served in the military and they died or have died, I'd like you to stand up on their behalf as a point of contact as we pray before I go into this service this morning. If you have had a military, they served in the military, they died. They are dead. Would you stand up on their behalf on this Memorial Day? If you had comrades, maybe you like me, you served in the military and some of your comrades fell in battle. Would you stand on their behalf this morning? And so, Father, this Memorial Day, we have come to, to say thank you. Thank you for the life that these men and women lived. Thank you for the service that they gave to our nation. Thank you that our sons and daughters can run and play in the street, Father, without bombs dropping on their head, without shrapnel scarring and marring their bodies. We want to thank you, Father, for the sacrifices that emulate the type of sacrifice that even Christ made for all of humanity. And so on this Memorial Day, Father, we refuse to let it be what the world sometimes makes it to be. And we will give the greatest level of respect and honor to those who have laid their lives down so that others might live. Father, we think about the multitudes that will be in Arlington and perhaps all of the flags that are waving over each one of those tombstones, and we thank you. That represents a father. That represents a mom, a grandfather. That represented a life that was lived, but that was freely given so that others might live. And so we thank you that our lives are blessed today because somebody paid a, a, a dear price for liberty, for freedom, and we don't take it lightly, nor will we ever downplay it or not say what needs to be said on a day like this. And so on Memorial Day, Father God, it is not about how I fire up my grill. It is about the fire of the Holy Spirit. And my desire never to see, Father, anyone slain in battle again, but simply to be slain in the Spirit of God. 
walk in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. God, we realize war is about people wanting to own things, control things, have it their way rather than your way. And so, Father, we continue to pray peace on this earth, goodwill to all mankind. We pray for those sons and daughters who mourn today, who mourn this weekend. We pray for those men and women who will ride motorcycles and make a loud noise so that it's never forgotten. The sacrifice that so many made so that we can enjoy the freedoms and the liberties that we are enjoying even at this very moment. God, we pray peace over the one that is filled with grief right now. And I've seen it. I've seen where people have gotten stuck and there's so much discouragement in their heart so much discouragement in their life God may they see how to make the next faith step this day in Jesus name amen and amen well praise God I want to I wanted to preach a message I put it in to what we call our planning center for our church and the message was going to be entitled um um, just how to be holy. You know, the Bible tells us be holy as God is holy, right? And I wanted to pre preach on holiness because I believe that sometimes people don't believe that it can be sustained, that nobody can truly be holy. You know, yeah, we, we're okay with saying, yeah, Jesus was holy and Jesus was sinless, but how many of you know you can walk in holiness? You can walk blameless? But <laughs> God's had a different plan for this morning service and uh, I have to go with what God's telling me to go with. Uh, he gave me that message but uh, I always uh, defer and say God uh, I always want to know when it's your time. I simply lay it out there but I'm always asking God is this your time for what you gave me and um, I don't know if you realize preachers write a lot of sermons. Sometimes we hear things that you're saying and that gives us a sermon. Sometimes we see things that are happening that gives us a sermon. Sometimes we've been researching and studying and that gives us a sermon. But sometimes you can write multiple sermons, but it's not yet the one that God wants you to preach. And so what God brought up in my heart is to deal with what's happening among a lot of people right now, and it's discouragement. We have lived in months of what feels like captivity. Your faces have been covered. Your noses have been covered. And sometimes we've just been covered in the darkness of this period of COVID. This is why it was so important for us to remember. And I remember yesterday I was moving. I wanted that cross to just sit here with all of those little yellow stickies that you put up on it, uh, reminding yourself that that had been nailed to the cross. How I many of you know that Jesus is not on the cross? We try to teach people every now and then I'll see per a person with a crucifix. In other words, still got Jesus on the cross. And I say, no, he's not there. There's no need of wearing something with a, uh, what it would be a symbol of Jesus still on the cross because Jesus is not still on the cross. But what is nailed to the cross, and this is important for you to understand, what is nailed to the cross? It's not Jesus anymore. It's our sin. It's everything that was coming against us. That's what's nailed to the cross. And so when you think about 
whatever that thing that's trying to attack you, you need to go back to the cross and remind yourself, Jesus took care of that for me. Somebody say, Jesus took care of that for me. Whatever that is that's ailing you, whatever that is that's trying to discourage you, you need to go back to the cross. That's why Paul preached and talked about the cross so much. He said, if you'll understand what went and took place at the cross, you'll never be defeated, ever. You will never even be discouraged. Look, sometimes I know you can say, well, what he did or what she did discouraged me. Well, you're responsible for not being discouraged. I'm going to say it like this. John 14, you know this. You probably only hear it at funerals, though. But let not your heart be troubled. Think about that. Who is he speaking to? He's saying, you are responsible for not letting your heart be troubled. Why? Because you're believing on him. You're keeping your mind stayed on him. Anybody know what happens when you keep your mind stayed on Jesus? The, per the word says he keeps you there in what? Perfect peace. People won't understand why you are not discouraged. They won't understand why you are not troubled. They're not understanding why you are not struggling at that moment because you are in him. Somebody say, in him I live, in him I move, and in him I have my being. See, you have to stay in Christ. This is the equivalent of Paul. Remember when Paul was on the boat being taken to Rome? And these would be Paul's last years. But Paul would say even to the people that were going through the storm on the boat, you don't have to get off. You don't have to get off. You don't have to abandon ship. But see, what happens is the devil is trying to get people to abandon ship right now. He's trying to get you to get angry with God. Even when death comes, do you know I realize that I, I, when I talk to people, some people are really angry with God. You took my mom. You took my dad. You took my sister. You took my brother. You took my child. God didn't take him. Not in that way. Not in the way that people are angry with him. God may have gathered them unto him. But he didn't take them. He didn't do he didn't do something. How many of you know God doesn't do something to you? God is always doing something for you. The devil wants you to always think that God is doing something to you. And this is why I always take people back to the very beginning, to the book of Genesis, when the devil says to Adam, he says to Eve, has God said? And that was intentional to get them to start questioning God. Now, Adam and Eve have lived in peace and lived in great blessing all of their life until this serpent shows up and begins to plant seeds of doubt. You need to doubt your God. You need to question your God. You need not trust God. So has he really said you can't eat of this fruit, whatever that is? Stop saying it's an apple. I don't know if it was an apple or an orange or whatever it was. It apparently didn't require peeling <laughs> because it says she ate and she handed it to her husband and he ate. It's not necessarily apple, though. But the bottom line, what Adam and Eve did was allow him to subtly 
get them to question God. You know what he said? God knows at the moment that you eat this, you will be a God. How many of you know that they were already God-like? They didn't know it. How many of you know you are more than a conqueror? See, some people don't know you're already more than a conqueror. You can already do things that you in your physical strength aren't able to do, but you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And the scripture is trying to encourage us. Don't let the devil discourage you. But I, I want to let you know, even if you're going through some discouragement, discouragement is not unique to one human being. I believe it's universal. No matter where I go, no matter who I talk to, I was talking to uh, my, my good friend and, and brother in the Lord, Brother Enoch Satima, just this week, and he called, and, 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 you know, Enoch's church uh, will seat at least 3,500 people, and he says in their government, which is the government of Botswana, Africa, he says, we can only have 50 people come to church. He says, the people are discouraged. I, I, I don't know about you, but he, he likes to say, the, Africa, the, the continent of Africa, we like to go to church. Anybody in here can testify from the continent of Africa, we like to go to church. We like to be in the fellowship. And, and, you know, God wants us to be in fellowship. This is why, I don't know if you realize, most jurisdictions are lifting all of the restrictions. But people don't think it's, a, it's anything but, well, I'll go back to the restaurant now. I'll go to the beach now. I'll go to see the Wizards lose now. Uh, I didn't mean to say it like that. But uh, we're going back to sports arenas and all of the things. But I'm going to say this, especially to those that are listening, it's time for you to come back to church. Amen. Time for the church to emerge out of its sleep and out of its slumber and to make a loud noise before the world and help them to realize we're not going to let the devil continue to discourage us. How many of you know that there were people in the Bible who were discouraged? I, I wanted to bring a set of keys. And can I borrow somebody's set of keys? And maybe your keys are like my keys. Let me see if Felix's keys are like my keys. Not quite. I have a lot of keys on my ring. He's got quite a few on there. Hey, anybody ever have your keys and you're not quite sure which key is which key? And you try the key and say, oh, that one don't work. It, it may even feel like it went into the slot, but it won't turn anything. So you, 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 you push that one, you try to push that aside, and you get the next key. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you put that key in, and, and how many of you can get discouraged because you didn't put two or three keys in there and still haven't unlocked the door? I don't care if it's the last key. You keep. You keep pressing forward because it's going to unlock. You've got the keys. How many of you know you've got the keys? God says you have the keys. It's not just because I'm preaching this message. God says you have the keys. He says, I've given you the keys. I've given you the keys. Whatever you will open, I'll open it up in heaven. Whatever you lock up with that key, I'll lock it up in heaven. But God is saying, you've got the key. And some of us don't realize that we have the key, and so we get discouraged, though the key is still in our hand. Well, I've tried this key. Pastor, I've been praying, and I prayed for my mama. I prayed for my dad. And, and, and you keep praying. The Bible says a man ought to what? 
Always praise. How many of you know that some will say, Pastor, I've been praising, I've been praising. The Bible says, let the praise then what? Be continually in your mouth. It's not just that you praise God yesterday. Get up this morning praising God. Get up through the week praising God. It, this is not about Sunday morning. Do you understand this? This is not about what perhaps we say the church has a scheduled prayer time. The Bible says you ought to always pray. You should always be praising. These are just dress rehearsals. These scheduled times are just dress rehearsals. How many of you know God is wanting you to be ready for what he already has ready for you? What do you think heaven is going to be like? Think about it for a moment. I'm going to give you just a Selah moment. What's heaven going to be like for you? Why do you want to get to heaven? Ah, this is rhetorical, so. I, I'm just trying to get the great matter thing. Why do you want to be with Jesus? I hope you're coming to the right conclusion. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus went through all length. He says, man, our sins were like scarlet. Everybody know what scarlet is? It was like crimson. It was red. We were, I mean, you stood out. If I had a red suit up on in this morning, a little red in my tie, but if I had a red suit on, you couldn't miss me. And our sins were like that. You couldn't miss. You couldn't miss it. If I put red suits on you and told you to walk out, nobody would miss you. They said, well, because that red <laughs> would be representing full of sin. How many of you know you were full of sin until Jesus came? And even though you thought in your mind, I want to do right, you were never going to do right until Jesus came into your life. Even your desire to do right. Now, I believe there are genuinely people who want to do right, but you ain't going to be able to do right until you have the right key. Just like opening that door. You're not going to open that door with just any key. There's only one way, and Jesus is that way. There's only one way to happiness, and Jesus is that way. There's only one way to joy, and Jesus is. The joy of him becomes our strength. Discouragement. So I was going through the Bible, and I said, well, Lord, you're going to have to help me on this message. And, and he said, well, look at Moses. Anybody realize that Moses got discouraged? We will call him a great man of God, but Moses got discouraged. Can anybody tell me, and this is not rhetorical, can anybody tell me, why did Moses get discouraged? Peace of people. <laughs> I've said this often. There used to be a, a bumper sticker that I would see on cars occasionally, and the bumper sticker said, would say, I love my job if it weren't for the people. <laughs> and there are times where all of the discouragement that people are, are feeling like they are going through is because of the other people. But you remember how God would always tell Moses, Moses, this is about a personal relationship between you and I now. This is why I believe Moses got a hold of it. Moses would go to the mountaintop. I'm telling you, if you ever feel discouraged in life, go to the mountaintop. I don't mean that you have to travel to Colorado or someplace where there are physical mountains. I'm just simply saying you've got to go up into the presence of the Lord. There are times where people don't want to press into that secret place with God. 
If you look back over the Bible, there are times when God would take people to a certain level. And you remember that, that there are times where people just want to stop and start building monuments. And God says, there ain't no time to build a monument. It's time for you to go deeper with me. How many of you know that 2021 is a time for that God is looking for his people to go deeper with him? This is deep. The scripture says it like this. Deep is calling unto deep. Years ago, a young man from Norfolk, Virginia came and he preached a message and he talks about, and he was talking to us about going deep. And that message still resonates with me today. Because he gave a great illustration about how, you know, many people are in Ocean City right now, Virginia Beach in some places. And he talked about the fact that you watch some people go out into the water and they get ankle deep. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? The water comes up to the ankle. And what happens? When the water gets up to the ankle, they run back up to the shore. You see, some of us don't want to get but ankle deep in the things of God. But God is calling you to come deeper. How many of you have seen the people, they go out and the water gets up to knee deep. But when the waves start coming and the water is at knee deep, what happens? They get back on the shore. There's a lot of people, you go a little bit deeper, but not deep enough. See, when you go out into the deep, anybody's ever been out into the water? And I, I was in the, the, the island of St. Martin one time, and I was looking, and the water was real, so clear. I could see to the bottom. And I stepped out. But my first step, there was no bottom. You like that too, huh? There was no bottom. I mean, I had to swim right away. I could see the bottom, but I couldn't touch the bottom. God is trying to get you in a place where you are not trusting in your ability to run back to what you think is safety, but to run into his presence and just lay yourself out in him. Where you can't take any credit. Remember Gideon? Gideon was a man who was discouraged because Gideon said to, said, said to God, look, I haven't seen anything, God. My parents have talked about your greatness. My grandparents have talked about your greatness. But in my era, Gideon was literally saying to God, I don't think I've seen anything great. Matter of fact, the reason that I'm here in this wine press threshing out wheat, because I haven't seen anything great. The Philistines come, they take what we grow. We grow the, 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 the food to try to feed ourselves, and the Philistines come and take it. I'm in secret trying to get enough food to feed my family, God. So where are you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you asked, where are you, God? Gideon was asking, where are you? And, and I love the fact that God can take a fearful one. God can take a doubtful one. And God can do great things with you. Somebody say great things. I know you all like to sing a song called I'm expecting great things, but God is expecting a great thing from you. God is saying if you will lend yourself to me, if you will give yourself to me, I can and will do great things through you. Sometimes we're just looking for something. I, I always, sometimes I feel like people are looking for something magical to happen. And God is saying, no, I'm looking for something 
spiritual to happen in your life. How many of you know if you draw near to God, what will happen? God will draw near to you. If you want to deal with discouragement, you've got to start drawing near to God. Moses would eventually realize, I need to go to the mountaintop. And he would go to the mountaintop. How many of you realize that Moses got real close to God? Got so close that he got to God and he said to God, I want to see your glory. I don't want to just see the smoke and the cloud anymore. How many of you don't want to just see what has been your norm about church? What has been your norm about God? How many want to see God? You can touch God. You can reach God. You can hear God. You can be so close to God that you know that his presence there. Now, I'm going to tell you, like Moses, God says, you're not in your human form ready to see the fullness of who I am. So I'm going to just see, let you see just a little piece. Let me tell you, just a little piece of God, just a little small glimpse of God will light you up. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Didn't Moses get lit up just getting a glimpse of God? Did Moses, the glory of God on him, the presence of God on him, was so brilliant that they had to put a veil over him? I'm telling you, there will be things about you that are so different to the world in which you are interacting with when you get close to God. Anybody in here is a candidate that wants to get close to God this morning. I don't mean just know about God. See, that's where I think too many people settle we know about God, but we don't know him. Don't settle for knowing about God. Know him for yourself. Get to know God. I laugh sometimes. There are people that are in the presence of people, and they don't know them, and the people don't know them. And sometimes they're trying to ask the person to say something about them, and the person said, I can't say a whole lot about them because I don't know them. How many of you know that there are sometimes where preachers are trying to preach funerals for people? They don't know them. They don't know. See, but God knows you. God knows each one of us. How many of you know that God knows you? God knows your name. Somebody says he knows my name. God knows your name. God knows everybody, uh, everything about you. God knows every hair that fell out of your head this morning. I'm pretty sure hair came out. You got the brush in it. You got the comb in it. Even if you were just laying down. But God knew every hair that's on your head. God knows every tear. I don't know if you realize that the Bible says God collects your tears. He knew you would cry. He knew I would cry. He knew the world is crying and discouraged. But God says, I collect all of those. Elaine Sharma gave me a little uh, precious moment. I, I don't know if you still collect those, Elaine, but I've got a lot of them now, too. One of the precious moments was in a time I was sharing with you a few weeks ago how our daughter had transitioned early in life. And that little precious moment, I will still look at this day, but that little precious moment has people entering into the gates, but they're having to leave all of their little handkerchiefs outside. How many of you know there ain't no tears in heaven? No more shedding of tears in heaven. So there wasn't no need for the handkerchief. Wasn't no need for no tears to be shed. God is that kind of God that says, I will wipe away every tear. And he collects your tears. So he sees you when you're crying. 
He knows when your heart is broken and discouraged. But God wants to encourage you, and he wants his people to learn how to encourage one another. Look at your neighbor and say, my sister, my brother, whoever it may be beside you, I will work on encouraging you this week. Encourage one another. Encourage one another. God encouraged Moses that day because Moses was discouraged. And Moses had been through bouts of discouragement before. I remember the Bible talking about Moses looking out and seeing how the Israelis were being treated by the Egyptians. And he thought he could do something in his own strength. Ended up killing a person. That's not how God wants it to be done. He didn't want it to be done that way with Moses. He didn't want it to be done that way with Peter. Remember Peter? Peter cut the ear off of a man named Malchus. And Jesus said, this is not the way, Peter. Because if you try to live this way, you're going to die. This is what Memorial Day is about. So many people who have what? Died. We can't live this way. Nations can't live this way. Peace has to come. But not like men count peace. You know, how many of you know there are times when people sit at a table and sign what is called a peace accord and it's being broken at the moment that they're signing it? But God's talking about a peace that what? Passes all understanding. Surpasses what man can do. God's talking about a peace in your heart that will keep you from being discouraged. And I went on through the Bible and I looked at a man named Joshua. You know, Joshua, we, were, we could say Joshua was Moses' predecessor. Joshua was the one that God says, step up. Job, the reason that you hear God say this to Joshua, remember Joshua and the people are now, they're at the Jordan River. Joshua and Caleb are the only old school guys. Their generation has died out in the wilderness because of doubt, because of unbelief, because of murmuring and complaining, not trusting God, turning over all of the altars of God as Elijah will show us later. And there's just Caleb and there's Joshua and all these young people. And God says to Joshua the most encouraging words, and here's the encouraging words, my servant Moses is dead. Pretty encouraging, huh? You have to get this deeper revelation of that. But God is showing Moses or Joshua at that moment, this wasn't about Moses. Moses didn't spread the waters. Moses didn't really set the people free. Moses didn't cause the plagues that came to Egypt. It's always, somebody says, always about God. Somebody say it again, it's all about Jesus. As a New Testament believer, as a New Testament believer, it's all about Jesus. Whatever good you have done, whatever miracles you have seen, whatever blessings that you have obtained, it's all about Jesus. So he reminds Joshua, if you are discouraged because the Jordan River is raging, be not discouraged. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, be not discouraged this morning. Be not discouraged, he's telling him, because God is still present. God is still on the scene. Others may come and others may go, but God, this is why on Monday morning they say most pastors want to quit. I've been there a couple of times myself. Like, God, 
do, do, did anybody understand the level of investment that was made of my life, of my time, of my resources? The neglect of things that perhaps I could have been doing. How many of you know every now and then a pastor will think, I can do something else? All of the murmuring, all of the complaining, all of he's not doing this, he doesn't do that, he, yada, 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 yada. If, it's just, if the stat is true from the Barna Society, a thousand pastors every Monday morning in the United States alone quit. Every week, think about that. Every week, a thousand pastors on Monday morning quit after that Sunday. They just say, enough is enough. But folks, I'm telling you, when you're called of God, I don't care what the discouragement is, you don't quit. Tell your neighbor, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. I don't care what the discouragement is, God has not put quit in you. And that's when he's talking to Joshua, he's, he's trying to help Joshua to see there's no, there can be no quit. One of the things that he tells Joshua, he says, Joshua, you got to learn how to meditate in the word what? You meditate in the word day and night, then you will make your way what? Prosperous, and you will have what? Good success. See, folks, this is where you go back to God. And Moses went to the mountaintop. Joshua, the mountaintop is when you go to the word. How many of you know that Jesus is the word? The word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. Now, we don't have him physically in the flesh like he was in that day, but we have him. How many of you got a Bible? I think every one of you. Or access to one. You have access to Jesus. How many of you know how to pray? You have access to Jesus. You know what? Even in, 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 in the Chronicles, it says, if my people who are called by my name would just take a position of humility, would realize that God is asking us to live a repentive life. Everybody say repent. How many of you know what John the Baptist kept saying to the people? Repent. Repent. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. This is all pastors are trying to say to people today. This is all I'm trying to say to you. Repent. When you've done wrong, or even when others have done wrong and you've thought about retaliatory measures against them, repent. Anybody ever been cut off on the beltway? You're driving along, you're minding your business, you're going to speed limit, and shoom, they just cut right in front of you. How many of you had something swell up in you every now and then? Come on, don't lie. I've been there. And they just cut me off. But God wanted you to know that's your flesh rising, and you better bring that under subjection. But how many of you know that if you don't bring that under subjection, man, it could take you to a place that you never thought you would go. There are people in prison today because they went to a place they didn't never think that they would go. They let anger take over. And the devil wants you to make a foolish move. He wants you to become so discouraged that you make a foolish move. What is his objective for you? To steal something from you. To destroy something in your life. And even ultimately to kill you. Kill, steal, destroy. That's his modus of operandi. But what is Jesus' plan for you? That you might have what? Life.
and that you might have it what? More abundantly. Folks, even to let somebody get in front of you with their car is a nanosecond. How many of you have seen people traveling and the person is just starting to get in the lane and they speed up? You're not getting in front of me. Let he who would be first be what? It's a nanosecond to let somebody get in front of you. You are still going to get to your destination. And you're going to get there safely. You're going to get there on time. You don't have to be the leader of the pack. So what? They came up the, 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 the side of the road. Yeah, it ain't right. But you know what? Do right. So tell your neighbor, do right. You all know that I have been saying this for over 25 years. It is never right to do wrong. And it is never wrong to do right. Not a cliche, just a truth. It is never wrong when you're doing right. But it's never going to be right if you decide to do something wrong. Simply because you were discouraged. Simply because a moment of discouragement. How many of you know feelings are going to change? Feelings don't last forever. But there is a forever with God. There is an eternity with God. There is this sense of permanency with God. That's why God wants you to choose him. To choose his will. Moses, choose my will. Joshua, choose my will. And then there's this man named Elijah. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, and we'll only look at verse 10. This will be the, 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 the platform for what I will uh, start to share in terms of some of the causes of discouragement, but I also want to talk to you about some of the cures for it as well. And so in verse 10, uh, from an NIV, I believe, translation that we have here, it says, he replied, I have been very, this is Elijah talking to God. And Elijah is saying to God, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. He says, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. they put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. We need to go down to verse 18. Because how, how many of you know God will let you rant and rave for a while? He is not validating that what you say is true. You remember how Elijah saying, I'm the only one? Look at your neighbor and say, you're not the only one. <laughs> one of the things I try to tell people, stop making it about you. You are not the only one. You are not the only one going through what you're going through. You're not the only one facing what you are facing. We're not saying what you are facing is not real, but we're saying you're not the only one. Stop saying nobody knows the trouble I see. God knows. And God will reveal even to others what you're going through so it can help you to come through that situation, to come out of that place of darkness so that you can be translated over into his marvelous light. The entrance of God's word, though, is what gives you that light. The entrance of God's word. Look at what God responds to him in verse 18. To, I'm the only one. He says, yet I, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouth have not kissed him. You see, you understand? Elijah said, God, they don't want you. 
They don't want your word. They don't want your covenant. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to do this. They don't want to do that. But God's not limited. It's like what I've learned in this church. God's not limited. Whether we had thousands or whether we have just ten, God is not limited. When God has a plan and you stick to God's plan, God can do things that beyond man's capability to do. Whether there be few, whether there be many, God will not be limited. How many remember Gideon? How many remember how many people were with Gideon initially? And God said to him, Gideon, you got, you were already scared, Gideon. <laughs> and then you got a whole bunch of people with you that are scared too. Send the people who are scared home. How many remember how many people left? You said, somebody said 300? No, 22,000 left. There were approximately 30,000 people that had assembled. And 22,000 said, yes, I'm one of those that's fearful. I just, I, I just picked up my little axe because everybody else was picking up their axe. I, I, I came to church only because other people were coming to church. I mean, you realize that some people don't come to church for Jesus. They come to church for because of what other people. I realized that I wasn't going to church because I wanted to go to church in my early days. I was going to church because my parents were going to church. It's when you make up in your mind I want Jesus. Somebody say, I want Jesus. Anybody in here want Jesus? If you do, I want you to just stand. Because you, you want Jesus. I, I'm looking for people. God's looking for people who want him. God's not looking for people who fought all the way out the door because they didn't even want to come to church. God's not looking for people who said, I'm not coming back to church. God's not looking for that. God's looking for some people who will go fight battles and win. Gideon needs some people who are going to go fight battles. And then after this 22,000 people leave, God still tells him, there are not all of these people still with you that really want God. Anybody in here really want God? I've got you standing because I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to make a declaration to heaven. That you are in pursuit of God. You're not looking at when this happens or that's happened, you're going to run back to the shore. Deep is calling people to go deeper. And so here's what Gideon is now instructed by God. Tell the people to all go down. And, and, and they went to this river called Hayden. I, I remember being in Israel. And Miss Pat drank from the river. I did not. I just didn't. Our tour guide says, oh, you can drink from the water that Gideon. And I thought, I ain't lapping and I ain't dipping. And Miss Pat was right there. And God bless her. She tries everything. I mean, God bless her. But at the same time, if God had spoken it, you better respond to it. So deep they responded. And you, I don't know if you understand what the significance of that was. Because as soon as the people saw the water, there are a multitude. Have you ever seen movies where people have um, been out in the desert, they, had, they were looking for water, and as soon as they, had, they found water, what's the first thing they do? They just go splash in it. How many of you ever watch National Geographic and you know, the animals that need to get water but don't realize that the crocodile is waiting? But the animal that knows the crocodile is waiting goes to the water, laps a little, and looks a lot. 
because they know there is still. How many of you know you have an enemy to your faith? You got to keep your eyes on God. You got to be sharp. You got to be alert. You got to be aware that the devil does want you to be discouraged. The devil will even say to you, take your own life. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? You ain't going to make it. Nobody loves you. Nobody cares about you. Nobody's thinking about you, but that's a lie. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. Lo, he will be with you even till the end of the ages. God will be a friend that sticks closer than a friend. God will be there when you are asleep. God will be there when you are awake. God will be there when you're young. God will be there when you're old. God will never, ever, ever leave you. And in Latin they will say, Nunca. Never. He will always be there. He is faithful. Somebody say, my God is faithful. My God is faithful. Let not your heart be troubled. He said it to Moses. He said it to Joshua. He said it to Elijah. And he's saying it to you. You remember Paul. Paul said, I've been seeking you, God. And there are people who are saying, I've been seeking God. But this thing is, this messenger from Satan is how Paul said it. This messenger from Satan is sent to buffet me. How many of you feel like when you get out of one thing, another thing happens? When you think you're about to get out of something, something else pulls you back. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Discouragement. But God is here to encourage your heart and to keep you encouraged. Sit down for just a moment. I'm going to give you four things that I believe that are are strategic things. They're not the only things. I could go through a multitude of lists. I got the writing and I and the Lord said, no, just limit it to four. Four things that discourage people and four things that is a cure for that encouragement. Number one, in terms of discouragement, the first thing that the Lord had me to write is the causes of discouragement. Number one is fatigue. Everybody say fatigue. Do you realize that Elijah that we just talked about in 1 Kings chapter 19, he was fatigued. There are some of you that you've been serving God. You've been doing everything that God has asked you to do. Elijah was doing everything that God asked him to do. Elijah was calling fire from heaven. Some of you have been praying, and you've been praying without ceasing. Some of you have been church, and you have not even you had a second thought concerning this or that or COVID or anything else. You've just been faithful. You've been unmovable, and you just simply have abounded in what God told you to do. But yet, what happened with Elijah was this. You know this. The Bible talks about him going up on the juniper tree and then asking God, Lord, can you just take me out? How many of you sometimes have felt like, Lord, I, 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 I'm so tired. I, you can just take me on. I'm just so tired. You can just take me out. And that's where he was. But we know he was discouraged. And I always believe this, and, and I've never, ever been able to get on board with uh, any pastor, any teacher talking about Elijah was so discouraged because Jezebel said, give me, I'm, I'm willing, I want his head. Because you know he had slain all of Baal's prophets. You know he had called down fire from heaven. The fire had come down from heaven, drenched up all of the water that was in the ditch, 
burned up the wet and saturated uh, uh, offering that they had been making the bills. They had been cutting themselves and all day long, and, and he was probably sitting there going, whew, when you guys going to be finished? And he just called on his God, and his God answered. How many of you know God don't take all day? God doesn't take all year. God doesn't take long if you long for him, if you get into his presence. But here's my conclusion. We'll check it out in heaven. But here's my conclusion concerning Elijah. Why is Elijah discouraged then? Fire has come from heaven, but the people don't move. Why do pastors get discouraged? When you hear a word like, if you'll go, if 120 people will get together and pray, I will do miracles beyond their imagination. Why do you think pastors would get discouraged? When you look around and the max that you see is 50, yet God says, the membership says hundreds. But when it comes to prayer, you can't even raise a hundred. That will discourage you because you, you, you realize it say, well, I don't believe that you, you got that from God and even if you got that from God I don't care I got other places other things to do and other places to go there are people who have gone to sites over this weekend and all they're going to do is sit in somebody's hotel pay somebody some extra money and sit in the rain and come back through the, 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 the multitude of traffic in the afternoon and, and I don't get it I really don't what was that all about? It, 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 you chose something that you felt was more important than God. And sometimes we're choosing our flesh over the spirit. We're choosing what our flesh wants to do rather than what the spirit wants to do. What do you think the spirit of God wants to do? <laughs> I like that, Katie. <laughs> like, it just wants you to come in the presence of God. You're spending money that you don't need to spend. You're in a place that's taking more resources. I've got to pay for breakfast now. I've got to pay for lunch now. i got to pay for dinner now. God said, I put a lot of food in your refrigerator. I, I gave you a, a warm, sheltered place to be in. There even people that you could have a great time just sitting and talking. How many of you realize that sometimes it's just about sitting down and talking? It's not about it in all the places that we can go. How many of you ever went to on vacation and you came back more tired than when you went to vacation? Because you felt compelled to go there and go there and go there and do this and do that. And you came back worn out and still had to go to work the next day. Oh, Lord. They say, I thought you went on vacation. I did. But you didn't vacate. You didn't take time to really rest. And God sometimes is trying to help you to rest. And a lot of people are worn out. One of the reasons for discouragement is fatigue. They're just simply worn out. See, folks, when you're, when you're tired, it's okay to just say, hey, I'm tired. And even sometimes halfway through major projects, you get tired. And you just simply have to rest. Elijah, remember what God did with Elijah? This is one of the messages I preached a uh, time back, uh, learning how to behave in a cave. <laughs> what did he do with Elijah? Elijah slept. Everybody say sleep. 
if you haven't been able to sleep of late, raise your hand. I just need to pray for you right now. You've been waking up, you know, way too early. You haven't been getting good rest. Raise your hand. Who is that right now? I just need to pray for you. Now, you can call it, the world calls it insomnia, where you couldn't sleep. Now, in the name of Jesus, I pray specifically for those people who have raised their hand, who are speaking about something disturbing their rest. God says you should have sweet sleep, pleasant rest. So, Father, I speak this over their lives according to your word and according to the unction that I'm getting from your spirit even now to pray. And that thing that's been harassing you, tormenting you, keeping you from resting, that caused you sometimes to be irritated and even frustrated during the course of the day. In the name of Jesus, it comes to an end now. Glory to God. I thank you that when they lay down, they shall rest and not be disturbed. In Jesus' name. But here's the key thing. How many of you know that your body sometimes tells you what it cannot do anymore? You have to listen to your body. You have to listen to it. How many of you ever tried to pick up something and your body tells you, what's wrong with you? It's kind of like me back in the old days. I used to play basketball. And, and every now and then I still think that I could do what I did when I was 20. And my body says to me, what's wrong with you? We're not going there. So it's okay to listen because God gave you that body to be able to give you indicators from time to time. That would be, no, you just need to slow down. Sometimes you have to say no to people. Sometimes people pull on you. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. People pull on you for your time, for your energy, for your strength. And sometimes you just have to say no. It's okay. God always has a supply. If there's a genuine need where that person was pulling on you for a genuine need, God will supply that or God will adjust that if necessary. So fatigue is one of those things that causes discouragement in people's lives because you're so tired, you can actually start to get to the second place. Here's the second thing that I think causes uh, discouragement, frustration. Fatigue is number one. Frustration is number two. Anybody ever been frustrated with something? You know you're giving your best. You know you're frustration. I, I can imagine Nehemiah became frustrated at some point because Nehemiah knew that the temple of the Lord needed to be rebuilt. And he had gotten all these people together and all of a sudden uh, they started to get a little intimidated. You know what happened? Everybody had scattered. After 21 days, all of the enthusiasm was gone. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's enthusiastic about doing something. Anybody ever had to plan a family reunion? And everybody's enthusiastic about the family reunion until it's time to actually do the work. Until it's time to reach in and get what don't jingle but what folds. And you can become frustrated. How many of you ever felt like all the work was put back on you? And see, that, this is where I believe Nehemiah is. All the work is put back on Nehemiah. Oh, oh that was your idea, wasn't it? Everybody says, our Father. Say it again, our Father. Do you notice that the, what we call the Lord's Prayer starts in this sense of inclusiveness? Everybody say, our church. It's not just you leave the work. There's something called the Pareto Principle. The Pareto Principle speaks in this wise. It says, 
20% of the people do 80% of the work. And the, 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 the 80% that don't do much work will take up 80% of that time. I've got it right. 80% of the people that do nothing will use up 80% of the time, especially of the pastor's time. But that 20% that probably need to be given more time to, you don't have time to give it to them. That 20% is doing 80% of the work, but they're only getting 20% of the time. And God is saying, we shouldn't even have a Pareto principle in the church because it's us. Everybody say us. Say it again, us. You know, a, a lot of times when we say Rainbow Family Christian Center, people set that over on the side because they're over here. Oh, the people at Rainbow. Aren't you people at Rainbow? Somebody say, I am Rainbow. Say it again. I am Rainbow. You are. Rainbow is a name, but what makes that name, what makes this entity, what makes this church is the people. It's not one person. It's not in my personality. It's not in Miss Pat's personality. It's in all of us, all of God's children, coming into what we were preaching and teaching about at Pentecost. Remember what it says? They had all come into what? Unity. They were all in what? One accord. They were all understanding, as it were, roles and responsibility. Every, how many of you know everybody can't do the same things? How many of you, your, 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 your body, you realize that all of the parts of your body do different functions in the body, but no one part of the body can say, I have no need of the other part? Come on, if I could take your eyeballs out right now. Because the eyeball says, I don't need the rest of that stuff. Oh, there's extra weight. Can you imagine? I'm preaching to a bunch of eyeballs all over the place. The rest of your body back at home in the bed, but your eyeball came to church because it was independent. I just want to see. I want to see what he's wearing. I want to see what Toby was going to wear today. But I left the brain. I left the heart. I left the feet. I left the you know the eyeballs couldn't get here. And then you know the eyeballs are actually going to go blind. You know the rest of the body is actually going to feel the extraction of that eye. So in the body of Christ, God is trying to show us, do you understand the value of unity in a church? Do you understand the value of understanding what your role and your responsibility is and to do that. How many of you know what happens when your kidneys start to decide that I'm not going to function no more? It starts to have a toll on the rest of the body, doesn't it? It starts to uh, exact a shutdown for the rest of the body. And God is not asking us to be those kinds of adversaries where we perpetuate a shutdown. God's trying to see, help us to see if we will work together, we build each other up. Somebody say build each other up. Frustration, though. You're frustrated that he's not doing what you think he is. How many, how many of you know that everybody can't go out and evangelize? Every now and 
again, I see people who are enthusiastic about evangelism. They'll get upset. They'll get frustrated. Why ain't more people out here with us? Gideon's crowd. Let's go back to Gideon. Remember Gideon? God is saying, Gideon, all of them don't need to go to the battlefield. All of them don't need to be a part of what I'm doing in this. How many of you know that my eyes don't need to be a part of what I'm doing with my hands right now? I mean, it's good to look over there and see it happen. But uh, it didn't require me, uh, my eyes. Come on, raise, raise your hand and just uh, twiddle your finger for a while. Did it require your eyes to get you to do that? But the eyes is a part of it. It can see it, be aware of it. But it doesn't mean that the eyes is not helping you overall. There are things that the eyes are going to do that the hands can't do. You know, when you start to understand the body of Christ, you don't get frustrated because nobody is doing what you feel you are doing by yourself. I go back to Elijah. Remember Elijah said, I am alone, the only one. How I many of you realize that God in verse 18 says, no, you're not. I have reserved 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. You are not alone in whatever service you're giving to the Lord. This is no reason for people to say, I'm going to leave that church. You know, nobody would come out and help me do this. Frustration causes you sometimes to change destinations, and it'll take you off the path and keep you off the path that God has you on for a long time. Number one, in discouragement with what? Fatigue. Number two with what? Frustration. Number three, failure. 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 Feeling like you're a failure. Feeling like what you put your hands to, it failed. But God says whatever you put your hands to is going to be blessed. If you're doing it for the right reason. If you're doing it, how many of you know the Bible says you and I are supposed to do all things what heartily as unto the Lord. Do what you do because you truly love God. Say Somebody say Jesus again. We, uh, we open our service with just one song, Jesus. Because it's got to be all about Jesus. Whatever you do, the Bible says, if you're doing it for Jesus, then do it heartily. Do it with all of your heart, all of your soul. Do it with all of your strength. But if you're doing it as unto pastor, if you're doing it as unto rainbow, as you're doing it as unto whatever denomination, you, you, are, you, you, you are likely going to feel like, oh, I can't get it done. I'm not going to get it done. And the devil will be glad to join you in that chorus of that you're a failure. But God has said concerning you, you're the head, not the tail. You're above, not beneath. The Bible says you are more than a conqueror. The Bible said if I would meditate, you would meditate, we would meditate in the word day and night. We would make our way what? Prosperous. And we would have what? Good success. The Bible said it is God's will that you be in what? That you prosper and be in good health even as your soul is prospering. So God doesn't want you to fail. Failure is never in the plan of God for his children. Victory. Somebody shout victory. Victory is always in the plan of God for you. That's why he says you're more than a conqueror and you can do all of these things. So don't let the devil convince you that you're a failure. 
You have to begin to say what God says about you. Here's the fourth thing that brings discouragement in people's lives, and this is a paralyzer. It's fear. Fear. Fear brings discouragement in people's lives. And the Bible says, God has not given you a spirit of what? Fear. But power, love, and a sound mind. Somebody say it. Power, love, and a sound mind. Never fear. So if fear shows up at your doorstep, if fear is trying to influence your next step in life, you've got to realize that's a spirit. But it's not from God. I want you to go back and realize what that scripture says. God has not given you a what? Spirit of fear. And that's the emphasis right now. Fear is a spirit. But it's not a spirit from God. So if your life has been dominated or saturated with fear, you can't make the next step. You won't even come out of your house. Well, COVID will get me. What about God's got you? What about God's got me? What about, yea, though I walk through the valley and the shadow of death, I will do what? Fear, no evil. What will God do with me? God will take me into green pastures. God will even restore my soul. God said, if I'm about his will, even if I drink some deadly poison. Anybody believe the word in here? I do. So therefore, I give no place to the devil. The Bible tells me, as he told Joshua, be bold, be strong, be courageous. Anybody remember a song about years ago? Be bold, be strong, for the Lord thy God is with you. The, the song talks about going through waters. You ain't going to be drowned. Going through the fire, you're not going to be burned. Going through, everybody say going through. Folks, that's the whole key of learning that you're going through it. Yea, do I go through the valley and the shadows of death. Everybody say, going through. Going through. Well, I believe it was Ron Cannoli that said, if you catch hell, don't hold it. And if you're going through hell, don't stop. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Folks, you can't let fear stop you. Fear is intended to paralyze you. Faith is intended to mobilize you. And that's why the Bible says you walk by faith and not by sight. Because what you see sometimes can try to put you into a fearful place. And God is saying, I need you to keep your eyes on him, Jesus. He who keeps his eyes on Jesus, will he will keep them in what? Perfect peace. So that you can continue in what? Faith. So, four things. They all started with the letter F so that you could remember. You know, how many of you wanted to get an F in school when they had grade point, grading like that? You didn't want to get an F, and I think that's how God laid it out to me. Do it with the words that start with, uh, with an F so that people don't, you're not going to fail. You're not going to wear out because you're going to know when to rest, and you're going to rest in the Lord. 
You're not going to allow yourself to become frustrated, and you have that responsibility to not let your heart be troubled. And you're not a failure. You're more than a conqueror. So what was the cure to fatigue? Rest your body. Rest your body. How many of you realize that things are going to continue even if you leave this earth? What you thought nobody else could do, yes, they can. And sometimes they can even do it better than you were doing it. It's okay to rest your body. This is what I would encourage you to do today. This is what I would encourage you to do tomorrow. Think about people who are resting in the grave, but rest your body. Rest your body. Don't put a whole lot of activity and a whole lot of stress and work on yourself. How many of you have done them big old cookouts only to be left with a lot of pots and pans and a lot of old stuff to clean up? Stuff you can't even get stuffed in your refrigerator too much. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? A lot of times people are doing stuff that is unnecessary. Sometimes I tell people when it comes to funerals, I said, don't try to do the big so-called repast. Most people just pass and say, where the chicken? A repast was supposed to sit there and comfort you. But oftentimes what you're doing is you are working and stressing yourself out. And then people say, fix me a plate. You got some aluminum foil? Don't even say aluminum. Give me some aluminum foil. Fix me a plate. They're not really concerned about your heart. See, a, a repast is not about how much food you can do. A repast is where people sit down and they talk with you about their life. Because everybody can't get the mic and say it all during the time of funeral. So many restrictions and time limits and time frames that we're in. But a repast was set in place where people would keep your head lifted not Martha mentality everybody know what the Martha mentality is there are two women in the Bible they're sisters of this man named Lazarus and Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead now they're in their household and Jesus is sitting there and Martha is that one who is saying to Jesus make my sister get up and do something I'm trying to fix food. And, and she was trying to do something good. How many of you know a good thing is not always a God thing? But you have to understand what a lot of this was all about. How many of you know how a weight got cut? Why do we, we, why do we incorporate, especially here in America, a weight? <laughs> I'll tell you. In America, I can at least tell you this. Civil War was a troubling time. A lot of people died. They didn't have a lot of doctors. They didn't have a lot of, having a lot of nurses. And there were people who were declared dead by people that weren't really medically certified. I mean, you know, sometimes you can just be unconscious. Sometimes you can be in a coma. And you can come out of that. And so sometimes people were declared dead that weren't dead. This is why in most cemeteries in America, uh, in time past, there was a person, a graveyard keeper that lived in the graveyard. You'd probably be freaked out by that person that lived in the graveyard, but they did. And caskets were designed with a hole in it, and a string would be put in it. And the string would be attached. Every time you bury somebody, you would attach a little, the funeral home would put a little bell over the grave. 
and a string would go. Anybody, everybody say, saved by the bell. That's how we get that expression. Because if the person woke up, they start ringing the bell. The wake was where people would sit for a long period of time expecting their member, that family member, to wake up. But we've made it tradition now. We've got to have one. Don't even know why we're having one. They did it, 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 they did it. So we do these traditional things, not even realizing sometimes it doesn't have any spiritual attachment at all. And we're wearing ourselves out with it. We're wearing ourselves out, fatigued, setting in. You need to learn how to rest. Reset your body. How many of you ever had to reset your computer? How many of you had to refresh your computer? Because what, what's going to happen? If you don't reset it, it's just going to sit there and nothing is getting accomplished. In order to get things accomplished, sometimes you have to let your body reset. Reset. What happens, folks, is that sometimes you got to allow yourself to reorganize your life. I'm talking about the cures for discouragement. Rest your body. Number two, reorganize your life. Reorganize. Some, of, some things that we're doing is out of priority. It's in line with what I just said. But you've you got to reorganize your life. You've got to allow yourself to say, what's, what's really important? What's really important? What really needs and is necessary to be done at this time? Sometimes we're working on the wrong things. Sometimes we're working on too many things. Sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, but we're actually doing the wrong thing. And so sometimes you have to allow yourself to, to, to reschedule. It's like this message. And the message that I was going to preach on, on, on holiness. But God says, no, reorganize. You'll preach that message on holiness, perhaps even next week. But this is what I want now. What does the Lord want from you? Do you really know? Until you reset, until you re get real quiet with God, sometimes you are just, you're in a forever process of just running and going. Anybody know people that's just running and going? We used to say in the military, uh-oh, heads on fire. Heads on, because they were just going. They're wearing themselves out. Five quarters of building, people just running, running, running. I was in the Pentagon. They're just running, 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 going, 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 going. And sometimes get nothing done. Old worldly song says, talking loud and saying nothing. Sometimes people just ever gabbing, gabbing, going on, but they're getting nothing accomplished. Sometimes you got to reorganize. How many will let God reorganize your life for you right now? I think it was George Myers that I first heard say something to this extent. He says, stop coming to God with a list of things that you want him to do and start going to God with a blank sheet of paper and saying, God, what do you want for me today? How many of you know sometimes you go to God with your list, but you don't ever come away with God's list for your life. You go with what you want God to bless, and God is saying, when are you going to bless me? When are you going to bless me? You know what he says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's in me, let's bless his name. Somebody say Jesus again. 
got to be about Jesus. Not just about what you want to get accomplished. This is my goal. This is my, uh, this is my desire. This is mine. This is mine. God says, can you take some of that my out? And start saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Anybody remember somebody saying something like that? I think it might be Jesus, wouldn't it? And let God rearrange your life. Here's the third thing. If you want to get out of discouragement, always remember that God will help you. Always remember that God will help you. Anybody ever went to people and you thought they would help you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You were in a struggle and you went to the person and you thought they would help you only to find that they were saying, well, I didn't really mean it like that. This is why I, I often tell people, don't tell people, you know, whatever you need, call me. Anybody ever said it? You know what I'm talking about. Whatever you need. Oftentimes we say that to people who have just going through a bereavement, just going through a, a family member having transition. Whatever you need. No, you, you ought to be able to do whatever you're able to do. Because sometimes what other people need, you can't supply. I love the fact there was a man named Buddy Harrison who's gone home to be with the Lord. And Buddy would say this, and, and Buddy was the, the person that ordained me in ministry, ordained my wife in ministry. And, and I remember him saying to, to us one time, he says, never extend your influence further than you're willing to take responsibility for. So there are times I, I see ministers, they want to travel everywhere, but God never told them to travel to that country or to that. And they, they're just extending their influence, but they're not willing to take responsibility. Do you know when you go to places where people need your help, they're expecting you to stay steadfast with that? Folks, missionary trips is not about making one trip over there and saying, hey, I went to Haiti, or I went to Africa, or I went here, or I went there. And then, this is why... For me, with ministers who are going to come to Rainbow, you've got to care about the flock. You, you, you've got to call and pray with me sometime. Like Enoch, like, uh, I don't know where you are, but we need to pray right now. I was in my car. It's easy. You know, God gives us these little witty inventions, creative ideas where the phone will ring through your car. And you just, we prayed. I prayed all the way up the beltway with, with a brother from, but he doesn't forget you. He calls people by name that he's met here. But there are people who come, and the only part that they are concerned about is how many zeros. I, I remember a pastor, I won't call any name because all of y'all would know him. And then he would say, ooh. But there was a pastor out in California, we know him, and, and, and he had a service, and that was a big-time televangelist that was in the area. He said, oh, I would like to have him come to our church. And, and it was a midweek. Everybody know what midweek service is, middle of the week? And, and he had him come, and that congregation was probably about five, 500. But how many of you know when your congregation is 500 and you have a Wednesday service, your attendance is probably about 100? Okay, sometimes less than that. And so it was. But this big-time televangelist came, and he preached, preached a good message. People said amen. People got happy. And so at the end, we like to give people, as you would call, an honorarium. An 
other words, you write a check and say, we thank you, an offering. You know, in other words, you, you perhaps even said to the people, we're going to receive an offering for our guest minister, and the people came and they gave. And they wrote him a check. The, the big-time televangelist got back in his chauffeur-driven uh, car, and he was on his way back, I guess, to his hotel, and happened to simply, you know, when you give these honorariums, you generally put them in a little envelope and just hand them to the people, and they pray over it, and maybe you pray over it, and yada, yada, yada. But he opened the envelope before he got back to the hotel, and he said to his driver, turn around. We need to go back to the church. Turn around. The driver turned around. He went back. Where's the pastor? And he said to the pastor, uh, you need to put some more zeros behind this. I remember being in South Africa myself. I was in Johannesburg. They asked me to come and speak with a bunch of ministers, about 150 of them, I guess, had gathered. Again, my friend uh, Enoch Fatima. And then somebody had enough nerve to ask me, why do American preachers ask for so much money? Now, I was happening to be following, again, another big-time televangelist who had been there, who had demanded that they have five-star restaurants, I mean five-star accommodations, first-class tickets, uh, yada, 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 and so much money from, as they call it, the gate. And <laughs> so only response that God ha asked me, uh, had me to say, because nobody had paid for my plane ticket. Nobody even had paid for my meal that I was eating that day. And I said, if God didn't tell you to do it, then you all need to be repenting. But if God told you to do that, then stop murmuring and complaining. I'm here because I would, in that case, I paid for my own ticket. I paid for my own meal. I'm just there to preach the gospel. I'm there to speak into the lives of these 150 senior pastors. But, folks, if you don't, if you're not careful, you can just become so frustrated by stuff. And this is why God is saying to you, when you get your life where it's focused on what God wants from you, you're not trying to be men pleasers. You're being what? God. And remember that God will help you. Everybody says, God will help me. God will help you. Here's the final thing, and, and, and we're going to have a baby dedication right after this. Resist the discouragement. Resist the discouragement. Let me go back over those four things for you. What was number one? Rest. Uh, if you picked it up, all of the things that will cause discouragement started with the letter what? L. The things that will cause discouragement start with the letter F. The things that will help cure discouragement, you notice they started with the letter R. Number one was what? Rest your body. Number two was what? Reorganize your life. Number three, remember, God will help you. And number four, resist the discouragement. Why do I say that? Because the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. The Bible tells you that. Resist the devil, and he will flee. How many of you understand the dynamics of resistance training for your body? In other words, folks, it's like this. That expression that says, no pain, no gain, it really is true. 
If you're ever going to be come become strong, if you go to the gym, don't pick up the one pound weights. Pick up the ten pounds at least. Pick up something that's going to stretch your muscles. Don't just go and pick up one pound and say, I was in there one, one pound. Don't be like that commercial. I, I loved to laugh over this particular commercial. I don't even know who does the commercial. I don't think it was an effective commercial because I don't remember the product, but I remember the commercial. The commercial is this man. He's an African-American man who's perhaps you and I would say obese, overweight. He gets onto a treadmill. Can you imagine this? A gym, a treadmill. He gets on the treadmill, an obese man. He's on the treadmill. It's all about 10 seconds. He gets off the treadmill and he gets on the scale. <laughs> and then he's mad with the scale. How many of you realize he has not exercised? You don't need to be mad with the scale. Everybody say work. work. Say it again, work. work. Say it again, work. work. Folks, all of these things that I've just shared with you concerning not getting over into discouragement will require some work on your part. Faith without just what? You got to work. It's just like what I want to say to these parents right now. Be good parents. To raise strong children in the Lord requires work. When you look back, Toby, I know your father, he just transitioned, but he put in work, didn't he? He worked to train up his children in the way that they should go. You probably sometimes will say, why did Dad take a vacation? And Dad was in there, in there doing what? Studying. Why was he studying? To show himself approved unto God. That he would be a workman that need not be ashamed to be able to what? Rightly divide this word of truth. And that divide, that the rightly divide means I don't want to get it wrong. Because if I get it wrong, I can pass on something to my children. And their lives will be wrong. And the next generation will be wrong. But I believe what your dad passed on to you is right. Your parents are sitting behind you. And I've known them most of your life. Nikki, I can't even remember how old it was when I met you. How old was you, Grace? Two years old? Two years old. How old were you? Not, oh, I shouldn't ask a lady her age. <laughs> but Nikki's got two children now. One of which is she's dedicating to the Lord. But I've known her since she was two years old. And I've known her mom. I've known Grace. I've known Shagoo. You know, they went on, on, on men's retreats with us. We just allowed ourselves to just saturate and think about the goodness of the Lord. And I would later get to meet your aunt, Sister Rachel here. I would always call her Queen. I don't know why, David. Every time I saw her, I said, She's Queen. She's a warrior. I met David, and the Lord says he's a prayer warrior, and make sure that he comes and prays with you once a month. Do you remember me telling you that? Don't forget it. But one of the things about raising children is to make sure that what they see in you, I mean, you know your children imitate everything you do. They do. They do. They imitate you. I grew up in the farm region. I grew up, my father was a farmer, and I, I would truly try to imitate. How many of you tried to walk in your parents' footsteps? I get to do that because my father would work in the soil, and he'd leave his footprints in the soil, but they were big steps. 
big steps. And I think it helps me today to realize that, 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 that you're going to lead some pretty big steps. How many of you realize that God left you some big steps to follow? But you can make those steps. God will not give you something that's impossible to do, not if you are guided and led by the Spirit. If you try to do it in your own strength, then yes, likely it is going to be impossible for you to do. You cannot be parents in your own strength. You're going to have to lean not into your own understanding when it comes to raising your children. And having the second one, the second one is going to be different than the first one. We found that out already, though. <laughs> I grew up in a household of ten. I have seven sisters. I have two brothers. And boy, were we different. I'm number seven. And my parents had to use the wisdom of God to deal with each one of our different personalities. And that's what you're going to have to do. You can't just lean to your own understanding. You're going to have to train them up just the way the, wor the Word says train them up. And the people that you expose them to, them to must be godly people. And folks, let me just say this. I'm going to take a, 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 a divergent way. How many of you know of a, of a, um, a website called rightnow.org? You're familiar with it? By show of hands. Everybody in the church, by show of hands, you're familiar with rightnow.org. I am absolutely shocked. This is, that, that's about six of you. But this is a subscription that the church pays for every month so that every member of the church would have a resource to go to. Man, folks, it's got stuff about how to be a good, whatever you want to be in the Lord, a good wife, a good husband, a good son, a good daughter. It's got the type of animation that your children ought to be watching instead of all of the witchcraft and sorcery that's out there on the worldly channels. And every one of you have access to it free. Free. All you have to do is call Mr. Neeson and say, I, want, I need access to right now. And you say, what do I have for my children to watch? Right now, the Lord has something for your children. Right now, media. Folks, there are conferences that people used to pay thousands of dollars to go to. Your plane trip, your, 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 your hotel. And you don't have to because you can just, you can link right up into it for free. Toby and Nikki, you need to be aware of resources like this so that in your training of your children, you're making sure that all of a sudden, how many of you heard the children say something and say, where did they get that from? And oftentimes, it's what we're exposing or what we fail to observe that we're exposing them to. Don't ever let your TV become your babysitter. Parents, all of you parents, and especially these parents, don't ever let your TV become your babysitter because it will start to teach them. Somebody's going to teach them. But Scripture says it should be you. Is dedication something biblical? Absolutely it's biblical. Absolutely. All the way from the book of Judges with Hannah. You remember Hannah? She went to the temple. The priest was named Eli. Eli sees Hannah praying. And Hannah, he assumes, is drunk. He thinks something is wrong with her, but she's passionate. And I'm saying that because you have to be passionate about what's going to happen to your children, your grandchildren. You've got to be passionate about it. 
There should not be a day that you don't pray for your children. Not one day should pass that you don't pray for your children and pray for their future. I mean, you know, the Bible says, call things that be not as though they were. When I look at some of you mothers, you need to be calling the kind of man that your child will marry one day. You should be calling the kind of wife that your, your, your sons will marry one day. You should be making sure the Bible, that the kind of company that they're going to keep, whether it's in elementary school, middle school, high school, collegiate, you should be speaking about the company. Because how many of you know the Bible says bad company will corrupt good behavior? And so you've got to be speaking. I'm sure your parents, and you understood why your parents prayed so much, why your parents were in church so much, because they were wanting to make sure that their, your children understood the, the reality of good company. How many of you had some bad friends? Thank God for your deliverance. The bad company will corrupt good behavior. They'll take you down paths. They'll take you down thought patterns. They'll take you down actions and activities that you were never intended by God and by heaven to participate in. But Hannah, realizing that beyond praying, beyond uh, providing all of the, 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 the uh, things that would sustain that child's life, the thing that would sustain that child's life the most is to be dedicated to God. That they would know from an early age my life belongs to you, Lord. My life belongs to you. And parents, it's important that your children know who Jesus is. There's a great concern when I find children and talk to children who will truly say to me, I don't know who Jesus is. You've got to do a reset. Remember the moment I go, I said, there are some times you have to reset you have to immediately realize you have to do a reset because what you thought was working isn't. Can you imagine you call yourself winning other people to Christ and your own children go to hell? This is one thing we warn pastors about. They call their kids PKs. And there are a lot of PKs who resent their parents. Because the parents didn't know how to reset their lives and they gave so much, perhaps in ministry, that they didn't give anything to the children. You've got to have a balance where all that you do is not given to your job, given to earning money. You've got to give something of value to your children. The Bible says we are to leave an inheritance for our children and our children's children. Most people want to put a dollar sign in front of that scripture. It's got nothing to do with dollars and cents. This is about leaving Christ in them, the hope of glory. That's the inheritance. That's the inheritance. It's the word in there. You can give them all of the name brands. You can give them all of the so-called fashionable items. You can give them all kinds of education, all kinds of various material things. But do you know what the Bible says? That won't, that won't save their soul. Because it says, what would it profit them if they could gain what? The whole world. And then what? Lose their soul. So it's not about how much education, how much 
refining and how much uh, of these types of things that so many people invest in. We're sending our children to the finest schools. We're, they're, they're, they're learning the arts. They're learning the humanities. And yet, they don't learn the name Jesus and to call on that dear name. But I believe it's a wonderful thing when parents realize this is not, it's not a plaything. That moment in time, you're saying, Lord, I take full responsibility for what the word says that I'm supposed to do. I'm going to train my child up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, I believe God that they're never going to depart from this. They will serve the Lord all of their days and, and all of their days. And after their days are done, they will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will not be able to be with them at all times. And if I transition, I will have left enough in them to take a position in Christ. I always think about Daniel. I think about those young people who were even taken into captivity. Their parents put so much into Daniel. Daniel is just barely a teenager when he's taken into captivity. But look how strong of a person he is. Joseph is just a young child. But look of how much God is in him. Because the parents put something in him. Come, family. We're going to dedicate. Are you ready? Is the baby ready? Resting in the arms of grandpa? Amen. All the family, everyone that's come. Hallelujah. Just join. I'm going to stand off to the side so that you can get to see this beautiful family. Toby and Nikki, you come right there in the center. Toby, I want you to take the right-hand position. That's called a position of honor. So I want you to shift Nikki back on the other side, and you stand on the right side. Amen? Because it is a wonderful thing when I get to dedicate a father and a mother of standing there. A union of marriage is there. It's not that children aren't special if there is not the father there. Because I don't believe Hannah's husband, as we can see in the Bible, came at any time. He wasn't there when she was praying for a child. He wasn't there even as she went to dedicate the child. He just sent her off. Sometimes that happened, but it doesn't limit God. Because you wouldn't know that Hannah's little boy would become a great prophet, Samuel. And so today... We have young William here with us today, right? So give Toby a, a, a mic. Let him introduce himself and all of the family or however you want to introduce your family if you want them to introduce themselves. But go ahead and let us know who this is that's standing before us. Praise the Lord.
for my leg, I have tired, my friend, and I have a grandpa, Mr. Obebe, and I have my grandmother, Mrs. Obebe, and I have a Tanya Marshall, right here, and my beautiful wife, Atunito Thomas, and George William in my hands. Thank you. And we're giving William to the Lord at this moment in time and reminding ourselves it was so important in the Bible that we even see Joseph and Mary bringing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be dedicated. This is when they would come in contact with the man who had been praying for such a long time. They would come in contact with a lady named Anna. They would come in contact with this man who said, I have been praying because I wanted to see the Savior. And he would see, and then he said, in essence, I can die because now I've seen the Savior. So Mary and Joseph saw the value of dedication. Hannah saw the value of dedication. It's not only children that we can dedicate. You, can, you realize that the temple was dedicated. And, and the Bible speaks to you and I about we are the temple of the Lord. But I believe it ought to be done early. I believe it ought to be a moment that's captured. I believe it ought to be a moment that is celebrated frequently so that the child remembers. This is why we like to give a certificate. And someday that child will look on the wall and say, what, this is, what is this certificate for? And you will tell him, on this day, we made a God decision. That as for me and my house, we were going to serve the Lord. And you were included in that decision. You were a part of that sacrifice or dedication that was being made that says, you belong to God. How many know that God knew him before Nikki and Toby knew him? Because the Bible says God knew him before he was formed in the mother's womb. And God has a plan for his life. And it's in the responsibility God has given Nikki and Toby the responsibility and the, all of you who are relatives and friends around them to help William to discover his God-given purpose. He has a God-given purpose for being on this earth. And it's important that we help him it's important that you do it here in a church because all of you, as members of this church, when you see this young child, you heard me just talk about Nikki a moment ago and saying, her mom saying she was two years old, Pastor, when we started bringing her around. But Nikki knows the Lord now. Nikki, when it was time to get married, found a godly man so that she wouldn't be unequally yoked. This is one of the, uh, the things for pastors sometimes that Sometimes uh, young people are, you can't hook up with everybody. You just can't hook up with everybody. You've got to hook up with somebody that's going to pray with you. You've got to hook up with somebody that's going to go through the word with you. You've got to hook up with somebody that's going to stand. And having done all the stand, they stand because they have put on the whole armor of God. We're not perfect, nobody. I don't stand here and say I'm perfect. I don't say Miss Pat is perfect. I don't say that you are perfect. But we work and live and abide in the one who is perfect and who is perfecting the things that concern us. I'm not saying your child might not do something that you go, oh my, whose child is this? 
Rachel, can you have this? Can you take this child? Or, 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 or Grandma, can you take this child for a moment? But in the end, like Jesus, when he looked at Peter, you know that I have a plan. And that God has a plan for his life. And so for William, we start with Toby, the father. With Nikki, the mom, just putting a cross symbol on her head. Where's older brother who is going to be so influential in his life as well? Because he's going to look up to his big brother. And he's going to imitate many things that his big brother does. But if his big brother is imitating things that he sees his dad's doing, they're both going to be imitating God. This is important for you. And God says to Nikki, to Toby, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. So that when your children start that process of imitating, guess who they're imitating? God. In word and in deed, God is telling you, imitate God. We, I, I asked somebody one day, I said, find out who came up with this acronym WWJD. And I feel like it went back to early 1900s. WWJD. And that was, what would Jesus do? Ask everything that you want to do. You will see him do everything. So, Father, we dedicate young William to you. And this day we declare and we decree that the kingdom of God will come. The will of God alone will be done in his life. He will be blessed when he come in. He will be blessed when he go out. He will be a blessing to those that he come in contact. He will be a blessing to his father, a blessing to his mother, a blessing to his grandparents, to his aunts and uncles, and all of those who are uh, a part of this family tree standing here and even those extended family members they will see the hand of God on his life they will understand the plan of God just like Eli the priest was able to see concerning this young child he was able to see that this child was hearing God's voice and I thank you that William will hear God's voice and he will respond just like he was responding a moment ago when I took this mask off God I thank you that young boy was hearing the voice of God. Do you remember Eli would say to him, uh, uh, go back to sleep on the first occasion, go back to sleep on the second occasion. And then he realized he is hearing the voice. And he said to say to him this time, hear my Lord. And we thank you. That is the response of young William always to God. Hear my, hear my, I'm your servant. I am a servant of the most high God. And God, we thank you that he will live out his life and live a long life because he will honor and obey his parents. He will honor and obey. He will bring joy to their hearts. He will bring delight to them. He will bring the blessings of the Lord to them because he is listening and obeying God. And obedience, his obedience will not cause him to have to sacrifice any of the things that God has for his life. And Lord, we thank you. He will always be in good health. Sickness and disease shall be far from him. He shall be blessed. He shall be blessed. He shall be prosperous. He shall be as Daniel was, ten times smarter than even his peers, Father, because he chooses your will, your way, your heart for everything that he does. And he will serve you with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his strength. In Jesus' precious name we pray and dedicate him to you now, Lord. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Uh, they're going to take a, a couple of photos of you uh, so that you can have it as a keepsake. Um, and um, 
one pass away, we pulled them out just right back here in this pack. Thank you. Hallelujah. What a great God we serve. Sister Mom and Dad to kind of pull this here tonight. Hallelujah. I need to get out the way. All right, I'm going to take one photo and then we're going to jump out the way. God bless, God bless, God bless you, God bless you. Why don't all of us stand now as we give our benediction? Um, we certainly do not want to neglect the giving, and sometimes people say, Pastor, you don't seem to um, uh, do tithes and offering anymore. We're doing tithes and offering, and we're asking you to really make up your mind uh, whether you're going to truly obey God concerning the tithes and concerning the offering. And he says, um, I know in the Old Testament it says we should not even come to the house of the Lord empty-handed. We should always come with a desire to give. It's for the furtherance of the gospel. It's not to, to buy houses and lands and planes and all of the other things that I think sometimes got um, articulated as a part of the gospel. The gospel is so that we can take the word of God, or the tithes rather, is so that we can take the word of God as far and as fast as possible into the uttermost part of the earth. One of our dear sisters here in Rainbow has uh, come and she sat down and, and I've been praying over it. There is a work in the Congo that needs to be done. There's a church that needs to be built. And I believe that our church needs to be a part of that. You remember years ago, uh, just a few years ago, the Lord told us to go help build churches in the Caribbean after the storms went there. Went to Puerto Rico and helped restart some things. Went to Dominica to help restart some things. And I believe that this is a church that is just a, we call her um, Mommy Josie. And most of you know Mommy Josie. And, and there's a ministry that she was a part of. And, and, and uh, they're in need. And uh, I'm going to ask you to consider giving. And not necessarily this week. I want you to just go back and pray about it. And then next week, I want to receive a special offering for that congregation. How many of you know missions is important to God? It is extremely important to God. Sometimes we only think about just ourselves. What's going to, you know, it's important. We need a building. We want a building. But sometimes the very thing that you want, you have to sow into. And I believe that this is just the, the will of God, the timing of God, to be able to sow into this ministry and to help this church, this congregation, and I'm probably going to show you a short video, thank you, uh, a short video <laughs> of this congregation, and they're doing a powerful work for God, but they're having to meet outside, and when the rains come and the winds come, you understand, you need to really be able to have a place where the people aren't discouraged, so, but can be encouraged to keep on doing the things of God. So uh, this week, I'm just going to ask you, Please give the tithes. Please give the offering that God puts in your heart. But on next week, I want you to be prepared as you've prayed about this. Uh, perhaps this is something that we can do in a way of showing you a little bit of information about this particular congregation. One of the things that pastor likes to do is check things out to make sure that it's legitimate. I, in my early years, I would just, anybody would show up and say, I needed help. I would try to write a check to that effect. 
and uh, realize that sometimes we were writing checks to things that were fake. Anybody know what I mean? People who said they were doing something that they weren't, and I, because I didn't always check it out. Now the Lord requires me, check this out first. And then whenever you check it out, and it bears witness with your spirit, then you s make sure that you sow unto it and do it heartily as unto the Lord. And this is one of those areas that I've been praying about. I have such a peace about it. And uh, I want you to participate in it. Amen? Amen? Unto him that is able to keep us and to present us faultless before the throne of his grace. Thank you for having kept us, God. Thank you for keeping us. We again thank you for all of those military people who, yes, they may lie in a cemetery or they may have even remained still be on a battlefield. But God, we will not forget the sacrifice that they've made just as we will not forget the sacrifice you have made. Father, we are so grateful, so thankful to be able to remember. And even you yourself said through the act of communion that people ought to remember because that it simply implies we are subject to forget and we don't want to be forgetful. We don't want to be forgetful of what you've done for us, what you're doing for us, and what you're going to do with us as you come back again. Now, we realize this. We were blessed when we came in. We are blessed when we are going out. We're going to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. And whatever we put our hands to, your word promises it will be blessed. Toby, I want you to come and stand beside me. Uh, Grace and um, Rachel, I want you to come and stand beside me. Nakia, I think I saw you in the back. Come and stand beside me. I, and the reason I'm doing this is all of them have had family members that have recently transitioned. We have a daughter that I will literally do be doing a virtual funeral for her come this Thursday. And all of us are, you know, there's, uh, some are just natural death, some are early death, like our daughter. When I say daughter, she's a spiritual daughter. She lives down in um, uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. And it just caught us by surprise because, uh, you know, we just preached her father's funeral about a year and a half ago. We preached her mother's funeral uh, a little after that. There are two remaining children, but we're going to try to come alongside of them and help um, Rachel and, Rachel and uh, Grace, their mom, who many of us saw come into this congregation and become a part of that membership here at Rainbow. And I, 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 I used to be so humble because, you know, I grew up in a society where the young bowed to the to the old, but she would just come and and she would be so so graceful in her greeting of me as a pastor. And then just recently, Toby, who we just dedicating his son, his father transitioned and left this earth, and uh, we all feel perhaps early, but the more Toby and I talked, we realized he knew, he knew the day, he knew the timing. It's like my father; he just knew when he was going to leave, and I believe that we ought to be able to pick that timing with God and go. And then Nakia, we've been praying her mom was hospitalized, and uh, even as we talked about even her coming back home, I think she probably said to Nakia and to all the family, I don't want to come home and be a burden. And God had a plan, and God always has a plan for our lives. So stretch your hands out towards them and pray, and, and, and let's help each other. Let's, let's, let's pray for each other. Let's, let's call each other. Let's encourage each other. The Bible says when one is rejoicing, we're supposed to rejoice with them. But he says if we are, we are crying, we ought to cry with each other. 
And so, Father, we, 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 we thank you for turning that mourning into dancing and that sorrow into joy. Your word says weeping may endure for a night, but joy would come in the morning. And we thank you for our family that's standing before us now. And we say to them, we're your family and that you can lean on us, that we will be the shoulder, that we will be the ear, that we will be brothers and sisters to you to help you to navigate through this time and that God's kingdom would come and God's will will be done for each of your lives in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. We will be sharing with the congregation more about the various uh, dates and times of funerals. So uh, stay um, in a position where uh, we can send information to you via email or via the pulpit in announcement. Amen. Hallelujah. Ms. Pratt is wanting to remind all of the ladies from LEAP there's a package that I think many of you are aware of what package she's talking about from the LEAP conference. You'll be able to pick it up in the lobby as you are exiting the day. God bless you. Love you all. Thanks again for joining us today. Here at Rainbow Family, our mission is to love God, love people, and change the world. If you would like to partner with us in any way, we encourage you to visit our website at rainbowfamilychristian.org.